And please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn to the book of Acts, chapter 7, page 914 in the Blue Bible. verses 1 through 19. This is God's holy word. Let us hear it. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years, but I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his brother and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, The people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. 
He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Well, again, we're looking at the passage in Exodus. Exodus 1, beginning in verse 8. And that begins with those uh, ominous words, this statement that there arose over Egypt a new king who knew not Joseph. That sounds like bad news. And knowing the story, you know it is bad news. Up to this point, the people of Israel have had a lot of good news and uh, very good life. They were blessed there in Egypt with peace, uh, with prosperity. Uh, they had a very favored existence there during their time in Egypt. And it was all because of what God had done through Joseph. The people of Egypt and Pharaoh were so grateful to Joseph. Uh, they looked at him as uh, their savior, uh, having saved them from that terrible famine, seven-year famine. And of course, it was all the Lord's doing, uh, but Joseph was the human instrument. And it was because of Pharaoh's great esteem for Joseph that this family was treated so well. They really were highly favored. They were given the best of the land to dwell in. They were allowed to live in peace. They had all that they needed. But now there is a new Pharaoh, one who knew not Joseph. You've heard the saying, it's not what you know, but who you know. Often that's true, and we see it here. This man came to power who had no regard for Joseph. He had no care about what he had done uh, for Egypt in the past. Maybe that was the distant past at this point. We're not sure exactly how long it was. There's another saying, what have you done for me lately? It doesn't take long for people to forget good that was done in the past and over time uh, that seems to have been the case here enough time has passed that at least in the mind of this pharaoh this new pharaoh that great famine and all the good that joseph did was forgotten it really didn't matter anymore and this new king had no uh, concern for the people of Israel anymore. He had no sense of obligation toward Joseph's people. And so suddenly their prosperity turned to persecution. Again, they had the best of the land. They'd been free and they had prospered. They'd been able to be fruitful and multiply. But now Egypt became a house of bondage to them. Now let's remember though who the true king is in this story. The one who's behind the scenes, 
working all his purposes out according to his will. The true God, the Lord, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and of these people of Israel. He's the one orchestrating all these things. He's the one bringing all these things to pass. His plans and his purposes are coming to fruition. And again, he's keeping his promises that he's made to his people. He uses means to bring about his purposes. He uses earthly means, circumstances, people. Whether it's things like natural uh, forces, like the storm that swept across the sea and hit that uh, ship when Jonah was on board and terrified those sailors, or the whale that came along and swallowed him, or the political processes that brought this particular hard-hearted king to power in Egypt. God uses means, earthly means, to bring about his heavenly purposes. And that's what we see here with Israel and their sufferings. God is the one who is in control of all these things. This new Pharaoh was an instrument in God's hands. Now, on a human level, this man became fearful of the Israelites. And he decided the best course of action was to enslave them and to brutally uh, oppress them. But again, these were just the human means, the earthly means that God was using to move his plan forward, his beautiful plan of redemption for his people. He's working those purposes out, working good purposes through bad things. Now, Pharaoh didn't know that he was a, an instrument in God's sovereign, invisible hand. The Israelites uh, might not have even been thinking that way. They might not have been conscious of that reality, but it was true. Now, some might argue that Pharaoh was uh, a tool in Satan's hands rather than in God's hands. And that's why this oppression came upon God's people. And while that's true too, it's true because Satan is an instrument in God's hands. The devil is God's devil, as Luther said. And so even when the devil is really involved and allowed to attack and harm God's people, like in Job's case, we're clearly told in Scripture that the evil one was involved, still the case is that God's plan is being worked out through even that involvement of Satan. God is using even uh, the evil one to bring glory to himself and to do good to us. To work redemptively in our lives and maybe in many other people's lives. You should think that way about the things that you go through, the sufferings that you endure. God may use those things not just to be a blessing to you, 
to sanctify you, to change you, to transform you, but to bless others. Maybe many other people might be impacted through the trials that you're enduring and the change that God works in your life through those things. Something else we can learn here, we should not put our trust, trust in men or in circumstances. That old Pharaoh that did know Joseph, he was very good to Israel. Because of his kindness to them, their circumstances were good. They had it very good. But again, that all changed very quickly. And things can change for us very quickly as well. But God is one who never changes. And his good plans and his purposes for us will not change. And they will not be thwarted. And he is perfectly trustworthy and faithful. He is reliable. We can depend upon him and trust in him, no matter what our circumstances look like. And he wants us to do that. He wants us to rely upon him, to put all our trust in him. Sometimes he may bring great trouble into your life or losses. Um, and he does that often so that we'll learn not to trust in earthly things, whether those be uh, good circumstances or people in our lives that we depend upon. The Lord is weaning us from this earth and teaching us and training us to rely upon him. He does that with his children. Has he been doing that in your life? Maybe he's doing it now through some trial that you're going through. I encourage you to trust in him with all your heart in the midst of whatever it is that you're enduring. He'll give you grace for it. But believe that he has the very best purposes in store for you. And those purposes, they're not uh, a dark mystery. Not totally. We may not understand all God's purposes and what he's doing. But his purposes, among other things, are to draw us to himself. He wants to draw you to himself in faith, draw you closer to him, draw you to be a person who um, seeks him in prayer, a person who comes to know him in love. Sometimes that growth, that movement to move our soul toward God, it can only be accomplished through troubles. That's why one of God's greatest tools in his tool chest is suffering. But if that far greater blessing for our souls comes about through our sufferings and troubles, then it'll all be worth it. Those momentary and light afflictions that we go through. Let's look at how the circumstances changed for the Israelites. Pharaoh says in verse 9, he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. 
Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. We see this man who had so much power was really uh, a very fearful man. He was worried about losing power, as often people in power are worried. So he decided to clamp down and oppress these people that he was so fearful of. You wonder how much of this was really genuine fear of the Israelites. They could have been a threat to his rule, but it's also possible he was just using this threat, this so-called threat, as a pretext to force them uh, into uh, his labor, to do his bidding, to do the things that he wanted to do in Egypt. We know that was the outcome of this. We know he wanted the Israelites to stay in Egypt. We know he wanted to use them for his purposes, for the hard labor that they could provide. He wanted to control them. He wanted to use them in that way, in his service. And so he may have been driven by genuine fear of them, but we also see that that was very convenient and that he was able to force them to serve his purposes by enslaving them. And we see what he did with them. In verse 11, he set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens, and they built for Pharaoh these uh, store cities, Pithom and Ramses. So he secured his power, and he also used these many people to make his name great and to glorify himself. The Israelites wouldn't be able to do much rebelling if they were completely overwhelmed and exhausted from all this hard labor. And their forced labor would bring about the building of these two great cities for Pharaoh. Cities that were built on the blood and the sweat and the tears of God's people. Imagine that. And they were treated more and more harshly. We're told though the more they were repressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made them work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the fields. They made them work. They ruthlessly worked them as slaves. Now at this point, it's very clear the Egyptians truly did fear the Israelites. They were in dread of them because they had multiplied so greatly. There were such great numbers of them. And so they clamped down even harder and they worked them even harder. And it didn't matter. God continued 
to bring about the fulfillment of his promises. He continued to bless them. And the more the Egyptians oppressed the Israelites, the more they seemed to thrive and grow and multiply. Kind of reminds you of what happens uh, to the church in times of persecution. Sometimes persecution is the best thing for the church because the church grows. Now listen to these descriptive words for the way they were treated, though. There's a lot of emphasis put on these words. They were treated ruthlessly. It was bitter for them. It was hard service. They worked in the fields. They were slaves. This is the hardest kind of forced labor. They were abused ruthlessly. And the terrible severity of these sufferings is, is really being emphasized here. God inspired his word with these vivid descriptions to make that very clear. His people suffered terribly. Pharaoh made their lives absolutely miserable. He absolutely crushed them. But again, we need to keep in mind that even through this kind of brutal treatment, this terrible treatment they endured, God is sovereign. God was in control. God was working out his purposes through all this. Think about what Romans 9 says of Pharaoh. It says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart toward the Israelites. And that happened more and more when the plagues came, after Moses arose. We see the hardness of his heart even here. God was the one moving things. God was the one orchestrating all this, even the hardness of Pharaoh's heart toward these people who suffered so much. That's something we need to reckon with. It was the Lord. You know, many Christians spend their time focusing on their unhappy circumstances or they blame Satan for everything that's bad in their lives, their problems. Well, Satan is real, and he loves to attack God's people. But this drama that we're seeing here unfolding in Egypt between Israel and Pharaoh, that's a spiritual battle that was going on. It is that age-old war between God and the devil and the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. But again, we've got to remember who is really in control of all these things. Yes, Pharaoh's the instrument, and Satan is involved behind the scenes, but God is the one behind it all. He's the almighty, sovereign one with whom we have to do. He's the one orchestrating all things that come to pass, including the things that come to pass in our lives when we're afflicted, when we're suffering. No suffering comes to us except that which passes through God's good, loving, all-wise hand first.
It's not because he wants to harm us or to wrong us. He never wrongs us. It's because he wants to do us far greater good. He loves us and he wants us to learn our need for him. He wants us to learn to depend upon him and to grow in grace through those trials that come into our lives. And again, that growth seems to happen best. I don't know about you, maybe some of you grow fine in times of ease and prosperity, but boy, I never grow more than I do when trouble is coming. Growth seems to happen best when we're in that place of hardship and suffering. Remember that. But remember also that that suffering that God brings into our lives, that's not a sign that God doesn't love you. That's a sign that God does love you because he's working good out of those evils. That may be hard to swallow, especially when things are really hard and sufferings are severe. But God's love is greater and deeper than we can imagine. He is better than we possibly can know. His love could prevent us from having to go through these sufferings. But then it wouldn't be the very best for us. He could have spared the Israelites from going through this enslavement. He has all power. He could have done that, just as he could spare you and I from the sufferings that we have to go through in this life. But he has a bigger plan. He has a far better plan than just sparing us from hard things and making life easy for us. He has great, grand plans that will bring him far more glory and that will make us far more happy and blessed in the long run. But suffering doesn't just automatically improve everyone's life and make them better people, does it? Sometimes it does the opposite. Some people suffer and it only makes them hardened and bitter and miserable, and angry at God. The difference is in having the Lord as your God and knowing him by faith and knowing his love for you. Yes, his providence brought the Israelites into this severe bondage, but it was also that he could reveal himself as their loving and faithful Lord and as their Savior. He brought them down into this situation, but he's going to bring them up out of it, out of that house of bondage, and they will worship him and serve him. Having him as our God, knowing him and his grace and love for us and being his people, that makes all the difference. He doesn't just leave us to be crushed under our sufferings. No, he redeems those sufferings. 
He's working good in our lives, good character, perseverance, all kinds of blessings that he brings into our lives through the sufferings that he brings about. He's a faithful friend and helper for us right there in the midst of our sufferings. He's with us in our times of need. And he'll give us grace and more grace, all the grace that we need to bear up under those trials and even to profit from them. Sometimes it takes a while to, to see that when you're going through those things. It could be years later before you look back on them and realize, wow, the Lord was doing me such good through that horrible stuff I went through. That's what he does. He's so good. And he will bring us to full and final deliverance from all our sufferings one day. He sent Moses to deliver Israel. But even that was just a, a temporal deliverance. That was just a, a, a foreshadowing of the full and final deliverance that was to come. And that is the deliverance that the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished for all his people. He came to endure affliction for us and to bear our heaviest burdens, our sin, and all God's wrath. We deserve to bear those things for all eternity, and yet he came and took that load off of us, and he bore it in our place. And now, in exchange, he gives us rest and abundant life. He says to us, come to me, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus Christ is the true Israel. He is the suffering servant of the Lord. And when you put your faith in him, you will not only be saved eternally, you will also grow greatly, and you'll be blessed even through the earthly trials and tribulations that he brings you through on the way to glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the right perspective it gives us on all things. We thank you for um, giving us eyes to see uh, as you see, giving us your thoughts so that we can understand and think them in our lives. Thank you for revealing yourself and your good redeeming purposes. We need uh, this instruction uh, for our lives so that we can live by faith in you, so that we can trust in you in all things. And we look to you to carry on your good work that you've begun in us, that work of transformation, even um, that work that you carry on and do and speed along through suffering. Help us, Lord, to look to you for our help and comfort and peace and the grace that we need 
uh, for this earthly life. Thank you for hearing us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.